Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein, and we're studying Masechet Ketubot, Tractate Ketubot, Kuf Gimel Amud Aleph Ba'amud Bet, page 103, A and B. Our page concludes the discussion of a Mishnah that was brought a couple of pages earlier. And in that Mishnah, the description is of a situation where a woman has a daughter from a previous marriage and then marries again and then yet again. And from each of the subsequent marriages, she gets a a commitment from uh, each husband to support her daughter for five years. And the Mishnah says that the daughter is indeed to be given support by both of the husbands. One will give her food, and one will give her the monetary value of the food. Our Gemara deduces from this that it doesn't matter whether one gives the food itself or the monetary value. And it applies that understanding to another situation. There was a person who was a miller and was given a mill to run by the owner of the mill with the understanding that he would pay his rent by milling the grain of the owner of the mill without paying money instead. However, subsequently the owner of the mill became even more wealthy and purchased another mill and now wanted to mill his own grain in that second mill and was demanding rental monies from the miller of the original mill. And so the suggestion was that our Mishnah supports the owner's claim that he can now ask for money in lieu of the grain itself. However, that suggestion is rejected by Ravavira, who points out that our Mishnah is talking about a person who is being supported by two people, and if both of them give her food, the food will go to waste. She only has one stomach. However, with regard to the person who is renting the mill, if he has no customers from whom he can get the money to pay the rent, he will be in dire straits. And therefore, he's within his rights to say no. The owner of the mill should let him pay his rental obligation by milling the grain of the owner and let the owner's second mill operate as a commercial enterprise and earn money for the owner by milling other people's grain. The Talmud explains that the renter is able to insist on paying his rent with the grain only on the condition that to do otherwise would be for him to suffer a loss. However, if it would make no difference if he has enough customers to do the milling of their grain for money and then be able to pay the original owner of the mill 
with money instead of grain, then there's no reason why he should stand on his insistence of the original agreement, and he would then be obligated to pay money. The principle here is kofinoto al We compel a person to behave in such a manner as not to copy the way that the people of Sodom behaved. It's interesting that the Talmud sees the peculiar sin of the Sodomites not in the way that we usually use that term, but as a violation of the principle ze ne'ene ve'ze lo chaser. One person would benefit from a situation, and the other person would lose nothing if that other person benefited, and yet the person who would lose nothing stands in the way of the other person deriving a benefit. That is considered by the rabbis the great sin of the people of Sodom. To prevent somebody else from having a benefit, even though that benefit comes at no cost to you. I've uh, mentioned at other times that in contemporary debates, for instance, about gay rights, those who refuse to allow gay people to benefit from equal rights, even though they themselves have no loss that they may suffer because their rights would be protected as well, such people who stand in the, in the way of gays benefiting from equality are exactly guilty of behaving like the sodomites of old. There's an interesting controversy with regard to this case between Tosfot and Rosh, Rabino Asher. Tosfot asks a question. The Talmud entertains the problem of preventing the loss of the person who was renting the mill. But what if the owner of the two mills also has a problem finding customers? And therefore, he wants the rentor to pay him rent because he himself cannot find other customers to sell his other mill services to. Tosfot claims that in that case, the landlord, the original owner of the mills, can abrogate the rental agreement with the miller of the first mill. And the rush objects strenuously to this and says, no, a deal is a deal, and God forbid that the landlord should be able to evict the rentor. If the rental agreement has been agreed to with the conditions as stipulated originally, that agreement is sacrosanct even though the landlord will be suffering a loss. Our Talmud page continues with a new Mishnah, and that Mishnah discusses the situation of a widow who needs to worry about her living conditions. And the problem is, how much do we show consideration for her personal preferences, and how much do we want to also show consideration to the monetary needs of the heirs to the estate. One particular situation involves the almana, the widow, insisting that she wants to be supported after she goes home to her original family, while the heirs insist that she come to live with them. And she doesn't want to do that. Talmud decides that 
the heirs are within their rights to demand that if she wants full payment of her upkeep, that she move back in with them. The issue is, as the Talmud says, birkat habayit, the blessing of the house. We may be familiar with that phrase today because we have seen uh, various versions of something called birkat habayit, a blessing for the house, a prayer that asks that God bless a household and bring it all good things. Here the words birkat habayit are understood by the commentators in a number of ways. One suggestion is that the blessing of the house means that economically, the more people who live in a house, the less the average expenditure is per person. As the saying goes, ne'er le'echad, ne'er le'mea. One candle can light equally for one person or for a hundred people. The expenditure is still for only one candle. In that case, the Talmud's understanding is that the heirs can say to the widow, if you want to stay where you are, we will pay you your support, but we will deduct some of the support that you would be getting because it would be cheaper for us to have you in our home. Another explanation is a little more intangible. Rashi says that the blessing of a house is that in a harmonious household, people help each other out. And it's possible to accomplish things in less time and more economically and more beautifully when people cooperate with each other. In that sense, the heirs could be seen as trying to encourage the widow to break her isolation and to continue living with them as one big happy family. The Gemara continues with the stories about the death of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Patriarch. It begins with the story that links it to the rest of our discussions, where Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi tells his family that they have to show great deference to his wife, even though his wife is not their biological mother. But from there, the stories continue and describe what an amazing human being he was and his holiness. And it tells one story which is particularly affecting and very disturbing. When he died, the Talmud tells us that a voice came out of heaven saying that anyone who is present at his funeral is invited to enjoy eternal life or enjoy life in the world to come. And there was one simple man, a launderer, who had always visited Rebbe's house day after day. And somehow or other, the day that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi passed away was just the day that this Koves, this launderer, did not come to the house. And as a result, he wasn't at the funeral. And when he heard that he had missed the funeral, he was so distraught that he went up to the roof of his house and he fell off and died. And then a voice from heaven came out and said, this person too is invited to the coming world. The story is very touching, but it raises enormous difficulties. What exactly was the merit of this launderer? Did he fall off the roof by accident? Or did he fall off the roof on purpose? If he did, then he was a suicide. And the traditional sources are very wary of supporting suicide 
And here the heavenly voice seems to be welcoming this man and giving affirmation to what he did. As a result, many of the commentators say that it was accidental and what he is being lauded for is his great emotional sense of connection to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.